Chapter Fifteen of the String of Pearls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Blashford. The String of Pearls. Author unknown. Chapter Fifteen. The second interview between Johanna and the Colonel in the Temple Gardens. Now that there was a great object to be gained by a second interview with Colonel Jeffrey, the anxiety of Johanna Oakley to have it became extremely great, and she counted the very hours until the period should arrive when she could again proceed to the Temple Gardens with something like a certainty of finding him. The object, of course, was to ask him for a description of Mr. Thornhill sufficiently accurate to enable her to come to something like a positive conclusion as to whether she ought to call him to her own mind as Mark in Jestry or not and Colonel Jeffrey was not a bit the less anxious to see her than she was to look upon him, for although in diverse lands he had looked upon many a fair face, and heard many a voice that had sounded soft and musical to his ears, he had seen none that, to his mind, was so fair, and had heard no voice that he had considered really so musical and charming to listen to as Johanna Oakley's. A man of more admirable and strict sense of honour than Colonel Jeffrey could not have been found, and therefore it was that he allowed himself to admire the beautiful, under any circumstances, because he knew that his admiration was of no dangerous quality, but that on the contrary it was one of those feelings which might exist in a bosom such as his, quite undebased by a meaner influence. We think it necessary, however, before he has his second interview with Johanna Oakley, to give such an explanation of his thoughts and feelings as is in our power. When first he met her, the purity of her mind, and the genuine and beautiful candour of all she said, struck him most forcibly, as well as her great beauty, which could not fail to be extremely manifest. After that he began to reason with himself as to what ought to be his feelings with regard to her, namely what portion of these ought to be suppressed, and what ought to be encouraged. If Mark in Jestry were dead, there was not a shadow of interference or dishonour in him, Colonel Jeffrey loving the beautiful girl, who was surely not to be shut out of the pale of all affections, because the first person to whom her heart had warmed with a pure and holy passion was no more. It may be, he thought, that she is incapable of feeling a sentiment which can at all approach that which once she felt, but still she may be happy and serene, and may pass many joyous hours as the wife of another." He did not positively make these reflections as applicable to himself, although they had a tendency that way, and he was fast verging on a state of mind which might induce him to give them a more actual application. He did not tell himself that he loved her, no, the word admiration took the place of the more powerful term, but then can we not doubt that, at this time, the germ of a very pure and holy affection was lighted up in the heart of Colonel Jeffrey, for the beautiful creature who had suffered the pangs of so much disappointment, and who loved one so well, who, we almost fear if he was living, was scarcely the sort of person fully to requite such an affection. But we know so little of Mark in Jestry, and there appears to be so much doubt as to whether he be alive or dead, that we should not prejudge him upon such very insufficient evidence. Johanna Oakley did think of taking Arabella Wilmot with her to this meeting with Colonel Jeffrey, but she abandoned the idea, because it really looked as if she was either afraid of him or afraid of herself, so she resolved to go alone, and when the hour of appointment came she was there walking upon that broad gravelled path which has been trodden by some of the best and some of the most eminent as well as some of the worst of human beings. It was not likely that with the feelings of Colonel Jeffrey towards her he should keep her waiting, Indeed, he was there a good hour before the time, and his only great dread was that she might not come. He had some reason for this dread, because it will be readily recollected by the reader that she had not positively promised to come, so that all he had was a hope that way tending and nothing further. 
As minute after minute had passed away, she came not, although the time had not really arrived. His apprehension that she would not give him the meeting had grown in his mind almost to a certainty when he saw her timidly advancing along the garden walk. He rose to meet her at once, and for a few moments after he had greeted her with kind civility, she could do nothing but look inquiringly in his face, to know if he had any news to tell her of the object of her anxious solicitude. "'I have heard nothing, Miss Oakley,' he said, "'that can give you any satisfaction concerning the fate of Mr. Thornhill, but we have much suspicion. I say we, because I have taken a friend into my confidence, that something serious must have happened to him, and that the barber, Sweeney Todd, in Fleet Street, at whose door the dog so mysteriously took his post, knows something of that circumstance, be it what it may.' He led her to a seat as he spoke, and when she had recovered sufficiently the agitation of her feelings to speak, she said in a timid, hesitating voice, "'Had Mr. Thornhill fair hair and large, clear grey eyes?' "'Yes, he had such, and I think his smile was the most singularly beautiful I ever beheld in a man.' "'Heaven help me,' said Johanna. "'Have you any reason for asking that question regarding Thornhill?' "'God grant I had not, but alas, I have indeed. I feel that in Thornhill I must recognise Mark in Jestry himself.' "'You astonish me.' "'It must be so, it must be so. You have described him to me, and I cannot doubt it. Mark and Jestry and Thornhill are one. I knew that he was going to change his name when he went upon that wild adventure to the Indian Sea. I was well aware of that fact.' "'I cannot think, Miss Oakley, that you are correct in that supposition. There are many things which induce me to think otherwise, and the first and foremost of them is that the ingenuous character of Mr. Thornhill forbids the likelihood of such a thing occurring. You may depend on it it is not, cannot be as you suppose.' "'The proofs are too strong for me, and I find I dare not doubt them. "'It is so, Colonel Jeffrey, as time perchance may show. "'It is sad, very sad, to think that it is so, "'but I dare not doubt it, now that you have described him to me exactly as he lived. "'I must own that in giving an opinion on such a point to you "'I may be accused of arrogance and assumption, "'for I have had no description of Mark and Jestry, and never saw him, "'and although you never saw certainly Mr. Thornhill, "'yet I have described him to you, "'and therefore you are able to judge from that description something of him.' I am indeed, and I cannot, dare not doubt. It is horrible to be positive on this point to me, because I do fear with you that something dreadful has occurred, and that the barber in Fleet Street could unravel a frightful secret, if he chose, connected with Mark in Jestry's fate. I do sincerely hope from my heart that you are wrong. I hope it because I tell you frankly, dim and obscure as is the hope that Mark in Jestry may have been picked up from the wreck of his vessel, it is yet stronger than the supposition that Thornhill has escaped the murderous hands of Sweeney Todd the barber. Johanna looked in his face so imploringly, and with such an expression of hopelessness, that it was most sad indeed to see her, and quite involuntarily he exclaimed, "'If the sacrifice of my life would be to you a relief, and save you from the pangs you suffer, believe me it should be made.' She started, as she said, "'No, no, heaven knows enough has been sacrificed already, more than enough, much more than enough. But do not suppose that I am ungrateful for the generous interest you have taken in me.' Do not suppose that I think any the less of the generosity and nobility of soul that would offer a sacrifice, because it is one I would hesitate to accept. No, believe me, Colonel Jeffrey, that among the few names that are enrolled in my breast, and such to me will ever be honoured, remember yours will be found while I live, but that will not be long, but that will not be long. Nay, do not speak so despairingly. Have I not cause for despair? "'Cause have you for great grief, but yet scarcely for despair. "'You are young yet, and let me entertain a hope "'that even if a feeling of regret may mingle with your future thoughts, "'time will achieve something in tempering your sorrow, "'and if not great happiness, you may know great serenity. "'I dare not hope it, but I know your words are kindly spoken "'and most kindly meant. "'You may well assure yourself that they are so. "'I will ascertain his fate or perish. 
"'You alarm me by those words, as well as by your manner of uttering them. "'Let me implore you, Miss Oakley, to attempt nothing rash. "'Remember how weak and inefficient must be the exertions of a young girl like yourself, "'one who knows so little of the world, and can really understand so little of its wickedness.' "'Affection conquers all obstacles, and the weakest and most inefficient girl that ever stepped, "'if she have strong within her that love, which in all its sacred intensity knows no fear, "'shall indeed accomplish much.' I feel that in such a cause I could shake off all girlish terrors and ordinary alarms, and if there be danger I would ask what is life to me without all that could adorn it and make it beautiful. This, indeed, is the very enthusiasm of affection when, believe me, it will lead you to some excess, to some romantic exercise of feeling such as will bring great danger in its train to the unhappiness of those who love you. Those who love me, who is there to love me now? "'Johanna Oakley, I dare not and will not utter words that come thronging to my lips, but which I fear might be unwelcome to your ears. I will not say that I can answer the questions you have asked, because it would sound ungenerous at such a time as this, when you have met me to talk of the fate of another. Oh, forgive me that hurried away by the feeling of a moment I have uttered these words, for I meant not to utter them.' Johanna looked at him in silence, and it might be that there was the slightest possible tinge of reproach in her look, but it was very slight, for one glance at that ingenuous countenance would be sufficient to convince the most sceptical of the truth and single-mindedness of its owner. Of this there could be no doubt whatever, and if anything in the shape of a reproach was upon the point of coming from her lips, she forbore to utter it. "'May I hope,' he added, "'that I have not lowered myself in your esteem, Miss Oakley, by what I have said?' "'I hope,' she said gently, "'you will continue to be my friend.' She laid an emphasis on the word friend, and he fully understood what she meant to imply thereby, and after a moment's pause said, "'Heaven forbid that ever by word or by action, Johanna, I should do aught to deprive myself of that privilege. Let me be your friend, since—' He left the sentence unfinished, but if he had added the words, "'Since I can do no more,' he could not have made it more evident to Johanna that those were the words he intended to utter. "'And now,' he added, "'that I hope and trust we understand each other better than we did, "'and you are willing to call me by the name of friend, "'let me once more ask you, by the privilege of such a title, "'to be careful of yourself, and not to risk much "'in order that you may perhaps have some remote chance of achieving very little. "'But can I endure this dreadful suspense? "'It is, alas, too common an affliction on human nature, Johanna. "'Pardon me for addressing you as Johanna.' "'Nay, it requires no excuse. I am accustomed so to be addressed by all who feel a kindly interest for me. Call me Johanna, if you will, and I shall feel a greater assurance of your friendship and your esteem. I will then avail myself of that permission, and again and again I will entreat you to leave to me the task of making what attempts may be made to discover the fate of Mr. Thornhill. There must be danger even in inquiring for him, if he has met with any foul play, and therefore I ask you to let that danger be mine.' Johanna asked herself if she should or not tell him of the scheme of operations that had been suggested by Arabella Wilmot, but somehow or another she shrank most wonderfully from so doing, both on account of the censure which she concluded he would be likely to cast upon it, and the romantic, strange nature of the plan itself, so she said gently and quickly, "'I shall attempt nothing that shall not have some possibility of success attending it. I will be careful, you may depend, for many considerations. My father, I know, centres all his affections in me, and for his sake I will be careful. I shall be content, then, and now may I hope that this day week I may see you here again, in order that I may tell you if I have made any discovery, and that you may tell me the same, for my interest in Thornhill is that of a sincere friend, to say nothing of the deep interest in your happiness which I feel, and which has now become an element in the transaction of the highest value.' "'I will come,' said Johanna, "'if I can come. "'You do not doubt?' "'No, no, I will come, "'and I hope to bring you some news of him "'in whom you are so much interested. "'It shall be no fault of mine if I come not.' 
He walked with her from the gardens, and together they passed the shop of Sweeney Todd, but the door was closed shut, and they saw nothing of the barber, or that of the poor boy, his apprentice, who was so much to be pitied. He parted with Johanna near to her father's house, and he walked slowly away with his mind so fully impressed with the excellence and beauty of the spectacle-maker's daughter, that it was quite clear as long as he lived he would not be able to rid himself of the favourable impression she had made upon him. "'I love her,' he said." I love her, but she seems in no respect willing to enchain her affections. Alas, how sad it is for me that the being whom, above all others, I could wish to call my own, instead of being a joy to me, I have only encountered that she might impart a pang to my heart. Beautiful and excellent, Johanna, I love you, but I can see that your own affections are withered for ever. End of chapter 15